The point is that, as I said, we have Java developers in the team mm-hmm. and they know, for example, Swing mm-hmm. from all the projects or they know Android because they also do mobile development. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they know how a component-based uh, UI framework works. Mm-hmm. So it was very easy to, to start over. So because you don't have to deal with HTML templates, you can deal mm-hmm. with, you have layouts, you have uh, components like text fields, data grids, mm-hmm. stuff like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. It was a very easy start for them. You're listening to the Vaadin Insider Podcast, a show aiming to uncover the processes, mental models, and tools that go into building mission-critical enterprise business applications. We interview business and technical stakeholders involved in the enterprise application development lifecycle and share the lessons learned from building business applications that run the global economy. In this episode, we have Simon Martinelli, who currently specializes in legacy application modernization, performance optimization, and application integration. Simon brings with him 25 years of experience as a developer, architect, and a technical lead, and is a passionate Java advocate with having made key contributions to JSR 3.5.2 batch applications, JSR 3.5 for money, and currently API. Simon and I discussed the respective advantages and disadvantages of single-page applications and classic server-side applications, a legacy modernization case study of a 30-year-old ERP application originally built on Oracle Forms, along with the modern tech stack selection criteria, and the advantages of using Vaadin for rapid web UI development instead of Angular, React, or a low-code, no-code development platform, and the trade-offs that come with using each of them. I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, Simon. So single-page applications, you know, SPA, the acronym, have become the quasi-standard in the development of web application, business web apps. Angular, React, and Vue are uh, some of the well-known frameworks uh, out there. Before we dive into those, uh, can we discuss the differences between single-page applications and the classic server-side you know, applications? Yeah, the, the most important difference is that if you're doing a single page application, you're doing the same as you did the years before when you created a client-server application. So you separate client development and server development, and the most important part, you have to create kind of an API between client and server. So there's extra work. At the end, you're creating three applications. You're creating a client, you're creating an API, and you're creating the backend system for this application. So it's much more work than if you're doing it server-side. So classically, server-side rendering is happening on the server. So you're usually in the same programming language in the same environment. And from there, the UI is generated during runtime, and you don't have to deal with that. So you just have one build environment. You have one programming language, usually. And also the deployment is much easier because you have to just deploy the server-side application. You don't have to worry about deploying the client-side mm-hmm. application as well. Yeah. So, you know, it's, and then at the end of the day, there are always different use cases for different approaches. So what are the respective advantages and disadvantages of single-page applications and server-side applications? Yeah. 
Uh, I think the, the advantages of single page applications are that you're on the client. So you can use everything that the browser provides. So you have a lot of APIs like uh, location API, for example, that you can use. You're also to, to a certain degree, you're offline capable. So your application will work even if you don't have any internet connection. And it doesn't matter that much if the internet connection is slow because often you can do a lot of uh, calculation or data processing on the client side. So you could uh, reduce the, the calls that you do to the backend system. And this maybe will make it faster. The advantage of a server side is the opposite. So you're always on the, on the server side. You can manage the state on the server side. You can use uh, your programming language, as I already said, but the disadvantage is if you have a slow internet connection, maybe your application will become slow because it will take long to, to render the, the front end view and uh, this could be a problem. And on the other hand, if you have a lot of state on the server, maybe if you want to scale your application, this may become a problem. So you have to use something like sticky sessions if you have a local answer in front of your application, and this may be an issue. So if it comes to the right use cases for both approaches, I would say if you have a data-centric application with a lot of data manipulation, uh, like a classic business application, so you have an in-house application or an ERP system or a CRM, this is maybe the better approach because it requires less uh, development effort. Mm -hmm. But if you want to create like a customer facing application with a lot of fancy asynchronous loading with location based services, for example, mm -hmm. uh, then maybe the single page application is the better approach. Interesting. And so I can see right over here, there's three X the word client server API you have to build and then server side, you know, just do it once. And of course, when you want to access the location APIs, you cannot do that on the server side. And that's where, you know, the client-side development model makes sense. And, but for data-centric, heavy business application, you know, you just write your UI on the server and it renders the client stuff. So why don't we, like, pick an example? Uh, you know, let's, let's say, let's pick up a legacy um, ERP application that, you know, I see in your portfolio you have worked on, help uh, re-engineer those for your clients. So let's start with, one of those uh, ERP application, why don't you walk us through, you know, your whole mental process? How did you assess the existing tech stack? What are the business uh, outcomes they needed? And, and what were the, and, and the different criteria you had? What are the different frameworks you evaluated? And then, you know, how did you end up scoring about it? If you could pick an example. Yeah. So the ERP application that we are talking about is a product. It's used by clients in Switzerland and Germany. Mm -hmm. And this application or the, the foundation of the ERP system is around 30 years old. Mm -hmm. So they are working already a long time with, uh, with this application. And uh, in the old version, it's built on Oracle Forms. So the ERP system, like every ERP system, has a lot of database tables. They have around 2,000 database tables, thousands of uh, stored procedures and functions, and a few hundred Oracle Forms currently. And a lot of the code was generated because if you have a master data management, you don't need to build the UI by hand. You can generate a lot of, of the UI components right away on the runtime. 
And so what the client was looking for was a replacement for Oracle Forms. They have a few Java developers, so they were looking at uh, Java-based frameworks, first of all. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the first phase, they were looking at something like a low-code platform. Yeah. So something that helps to rapid Just... build mm -hmm. the application, but uh, they weren't so um, happy with it. And they were looking for some alternatives. And uh, the funny thing about the low-code uh, platform that I were chosen is that uh, is what's based on Vadin. So you could generate Swing or Vadin applications. And so they thought, why not? Or they brought me in the project and I said, hey, why not look at Vadin? So mm -hmm. if you're happy with the low code, how it looks yeah. and how it works, maybe yeah. Vadin could be one of the solutions. We were looking at different solutions like single page application, JavaScript, also Spring and Time Leaf mm -hmm. for sure. But we thought with uh, heavy data centric application and the very close or the, or the very important part of the database that we have to access, a server-side approach that is in Java and can, mm. we can generate the code during runtime would be the best fit. So that's why we, we have chosen Rodin at the end. If you, could, if you could stay at the low-code stuff, what were the like low-code and no-code has been marketed really heavily, uh, but I'm learning more and more there are, you know, some proprietary stuff that happens behind the engine, which leads to some, you know, lock-ins and you don't get access to that. So what were some challenges that the, the team faced uh, when they were using, trying to recreate the, migrate from Oracle Forms using the low-code platform? Yeah, the, the problem is uh, a low-code or a no-code platform is usually an 80-20 mm. solution. Yeah. And the problem is that the 20 percent of, of the requirements may may grow. So they may have a lot of mm. special requirements that do not fit into the low code platform. And that was happened with this product as well. They were trying with, with the vendor of the low code platform to mm -hmm. improve or to enhance the low code platform that it will fit their special requirements, but they were not successful in all okay. requirements. So that's why they were looking for something else. Just sounds like uh, low code can still be a good fit if it's something out of the box replaces your existing business process. But if you have custom requirements, user stories, then it can end up becoming more costlier to start customizing on the low code platform. Exactly, exactly. Wonderful. So, okay, so that makes sense. Oracle sounds uh, forms, and then you said, why don't we just use Vadin, which is the low code vendor is already using. So, what were. Uh, this Java, what for the audience? What were some uh, you know clear advantages or the gains that the team eventually got uh, by choosing Valin? The point is that, as I said, we have Java developers in the team, mm -hmm. and they know, for example, Swing mm -hmm. from all the projects, or they know Android because they also do mobile development. Mm -hmm. yeah. So they know how a component-based uh, UI framework works. Mm -hmm. So it was very easy to, to start over. So because you don't have to deal with HTML templates, you can deal mm -hmm. with, you have layouts, you have uh, components like text fields, data grids, mm -hmm. stuff like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. It was a very easy start for them. So that's mm -hmm. one of the advantage. And uh, the other benefit was that uh, the components that provides are very good. Mm -hmm. And they are very good for data-centric applications because we have like uh, a grid or a tree that is based on a data provider. The data provider supports pagination out of the box. Mm -hmm. uh, and this fits very well with, with data-driven 
application. So that's one of the most, the best parts that we are very happy with. So, so when you're saying components are good, and uh, I see some of them are, you know, business features requirements, so you don't have to build it. Can you elaborate more on when you say what, what does it mean components are good? For example, an ERP system, if you look at it, you usually have two components or two main components. You have usually on the left or on the right side, you have a grid mm-hmm. where you can filter data. And mm-hmm. on the right side or on the opposite side, a difference, you have a form. So you mm-hmm. have the components like text field, combo boxes, uh, yeah. lists and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And this is usually the same. And doing that with Wadin is like um, doing it very fast. So it's very easy to, to start over, to create a grid, to, to add columns, to add a data provider that um, needs just two queries, one for counting the elements and one for providing the data. Mm-hmm. And if you compare this effort for developing such a, such a UI, it's uh, maybe 50% lower than if you do it with a single page application approach because you mm. have to define the REST API with paging. You have to create um, the templates for the components and then you have to build the application. So that's a, a big advantage for, for these kinds of applications. Interesting. So developer productivity gain was pretty obvious for you guys when you were yeah. modelizing that. Mm. I might be missing something here because I've heard that Vaadin is actually really good for building single page applications while you write your you know, UI logic on the server and you don't have to deal with the client server communication REST API. Are we still talking the same SPA stuff? Yes. So, I mean, Vaadin is, is also a single page application, right? From yeah, the, every application you build is you know single single page from yeah. from the architecture style. So you get mm-hmm. an application that behaves like a single page application, mm-hmm. but you don't have to implement it like a single page application. Okay, the first part was the implementation client server API. Okay, 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 that makes sense. Exactly. Uh, okay, you get an SPA, but we don't have to do the three times work versus yeah, well, then takes care of all of it. Interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Are you saying something? No, that's good. Yeah. Fine. So, you, so tell tell me about your experience because when you, how did you come across Vadin? Was it through the low code platform analysis that you guys saw under the hood, or were you already familiar with the framework? No, I did a Vadin project maybe I would say fifteen years ago. So mm-hmm. in the beginning of Vadin. <laughs> or I don't know what it was. Maybe the first Vadin version with uh, GWT. Okay, okay, not ITML. I think. Okay, no, yeah. no. And we did it, and I had friends that continuing this path because I moved then from the front end side more to the back end side, more data heavy applications, now more front end work. Or mm-hmm. also, I was working for a big company that was using Eclipse RCP. In that time, it was very popular mm, yeah. around then. And so I, until last year, I didn't have anything to do with Vadin. Mm-hmm. And when we, when we came to the low-code platform, they were using Vadin 8. Mm-hmm. And we had the possibility to, to just use the brand new Vadin 10. Mm-hmm. That was a big gain because I think the approach with web components is much, is much better than the GWT mm-hmm. approach from yeah. Vadin 8. Yeah. And uh, so we could also benefit from other components. And that's how we, how I came uh, in touch with, with Vadin. Mm-hmm. Currently, I'm working with Vadin for one and a half a year okay. on a 
yeah, I'm working most of the time, just full time for this project now. Okay, wonderful. Can we touch a little bit on web components? So we had an architecture shift going from Wadin 8, which was using GWT render the client side engine, and then we you know are web standard based, you know, web components. Um, from a from a business uh, business user's perspective, they don't they don't care, you know, what is GWT, what is the component. They say, can you help me, you know, solve this problem or help me with this goal? So, how do you who who are the people you communicate with when you you know evaluate the frameworks and how do you walk them through the business, uh, you know, ROI may not be the right word here, but business benefits of this Valin fourteen approach, web components approach with the other stuff. Uh, one benefit is that Vadin already provides uh, a lot of good or very good components that you can mm-hmm. use, you can compose them to mm-hmm. other, other uh, components that you may need. Mm-hmm. And there is also, uh, there are a lot of directories with web components. So mm-hmm. I think the web component market is growing. So from day to day, you get more. Uh, web components available, and it's very easy to integrate any web component with Vadin. Uh, mm-hmm. So because you need the server part for the web component, but this is not very complicated to implement. So you can benefit from a lot of components that are out there. So that's one of the benefits. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, Vadin uh, also provides some layouts like a, a CRUD layout or mm-hmm. an application layout that you can use right away that may fit your in-house business applications mm-hmm. that don't have any special requirements for styling or for uh, corporate design, whatever. So mm-hmm. you can, you're very fast in, in, in starting with that. So the benefit from the web components is that you don't have to deal with, uh, with HTML because these mm-hmm. components embrace HTML or the, mm-hmm. the, the web component standard, yeah. and, but you don't have to write your own tags and uh, CSS and stuff like that. So this yeah. comes out of the box. Mm-hmm. That maybe the disadvantage of web components is the styling. It's sometimes very hard okay. to style the, the shadow DOM. That's not easy if you do it for the first time, but there are yeah. a lot of good tutorials or examples where you can learn how to do that. Yeah, no, we've been working on our improving our, in fact, in fact, our new theming documentation, we just updated uh, a couple of weeks ago. So that was a recurring, you know, request, complaint, whatever you say. On on the layout, uh, the, the CRUD grid, those are, you know, one of the bread and like the backbones, building blocks of a business data centric business application. Did you by any chance also get a, uh, take a look at the business app starter that we have with the whole menu yes. and template? Did you end up using that? I looking at that because I do workshops with Vadin. Sometimes we we use the starters, mm-hmm. and but in the current project we don't use that. We use our own layout, but it's inspired by how mm-hmm. uh, the starter projects are doing. The starter projects are great if you want to learn Vadin or have a look and want to start. So it's very mm-hmm. uh, very helpful, yeah. and also the layouts give you like a a template or a, a, a example that you can use uh, in your own application. That's pretty helpful. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's much better because you have a, right away a business application. Exactly. If you go to, to other frameworks like Angular, you get the to-do application, but who wants to create the to-do <laughs> application? <laughs> hello world. <laughs> or hello world, yes. Yeah. So in this, the ERP you know, use case, the client you had, could you walk me through the different, when were you brought in and who were the different you know, 
people, personas, title, uh, department head, whatever you call it, where you're communicating with, because each one has a different you know, style. So I'm, I'm sure you had to adapt to how you educate them. Could you walk us through that process? Yeah, uh, the point is uh, they started with, with the low code mm -hmm. and they, they were looking for someone helping them in replacing the UI with this low code platform. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I came in, we had a workshop with, with the management of the company. So mm -hmm. we had like the CEO, we had uh, the CTO and we had people from the development team. Mm -hmm. And we were looking at what they did uh, so far. Yeah. And then uh, I tried to, in a second workshop, I tried to convince them that it's maybe easier to do it otherwise, to generate it by our own, directly with Vadin or with, uh, with our own web framework. And so I'm usually in communication with, with the CEO, but because it's a product company, the CEO is very technical. So okay. he knows how uh, Vadin works at the end. So he's, yeah. he also wanted to learn how Vadin works. I think he also did examples. He's um, often looking at the code that mm -hmm. we produce. And mm -hmm. so we have a lot of technical people. Mm -hmm. The point is the people are coming from a database view. So they yeah. know a lot of about Oracle databases, about mm -hmm. the data modeling and stuff. They don't know much about web development. Yep, the front end. Yeah. So when, how, how many months of work had they already put in using the low code for the UI? I think three or four months they were working with the low code company before we changed to voting. Yeah. Okay. But the, the good thing is the work was not spent or wasted because mm -hmm. they had to change some uh, stuff on the backend or on the database layer mm -hmm. itself to make yeah. it. Uh, possible to to add a, a web okay. front end. To okay, it. so you It was just it, it was more or less a prototype that they did. Yeah. And uh, the first thing that I did, I tried to convince them uh, by implementing parts of the new application directly with Vadin and to compare it with the low code output. So mm -hmm. okay. that was also in the process of evaluation. Okay, wonderful. So when it comes to migrating something like an Oracle format-based application, I think the, the sweet spot with Vaden is you get to maximize the reuse of your existing Java investment, you know, your backend stuff, your Java developers. What's happening in the industry is, you know, all the young developers, uh, you know, they are growing up in Node.js, JavaScript, you know, the front-end frameworks. And when they land up in a legacy modernization project, uh, companies have to keep them happy. So they dump everything from the legacy stuff and they, they build things from scratch. So there's two questions I have. First is, how, what level of reusability were you guys able to get from the legacy you know, Oracle system? And, and then, yeah, I'll, I'll ask more around, how do we go about making people question the pros and cons of you know, building things from scratch versus, hey, you can actually maximize you know, lose more of the stuff. So let's, 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 let's dive into that later. Okay. First of all, we have a very high reuse mm -hmm. because uh, we're using a framework called Chook. It's uh, jook.org. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's a data access framework where, you, where the framework generates uh, metadata uh, from your uh, database schema it also generates code to access store procedures and functions. Mm -hmm. And it has a domain specific language, a DSL, that is SQL. Mm -hmm. 
or SQL. Okay. Yeah, SQL. And with that, you are very fast in accessing a database and you are type safe. So if something changes on the database side mm -hmm. and you compile your application, it will not compile because maybe a, a column yeah, is missing column, or something yeah, like that. So that's a perfect thing. And with that, we have a very high reuse because all the business logic of the old system is also in procedures because it's an Oracle mm -hmm. Forms application. So we can use that. What yeah. we can't uh, reuse is the view logic because view they logic. also have view logic in the Oracle Forms application. Yeah. And yeah. this has to be written in Java from scratch. Yep. But I would say that because we can use the whole database and we can use a lot of uh, business logic, we're also writing new business logic now in store procedures yeah. because we think maybe in 10 years they have to replace uh, the UI again because they maybe I don't know whatever Ooh, other we'll technology will be, uh, will be hyped then. So uh, the reuse is very important because you lose a lot. The reuse is not only reuse, the use is use, reuse of the implemented requirements. Exactly. Maybe there, are, maybe there are not people, if you do it from scratch, you will need to find people who understand the whole system. So you mm -hmm. have to reverse engineer all the requirements and this is a very uh, long and cost-intensive process. So yeah. it's not just rewriting the code, it's just rebuilding the requirements. Maybe if you rebuild the requirements, you do it else than before and you can't compare the applications anymore because it's not the same. Mm -hmm. So this is, is not reusing, building from scratch has higher risk, uh, high risk and is, is probably more expensive than reusing the yeah. code. And I mean, business leaders want to reuse this, you know, with the developers or, you know, at the technical level, they just want to play with the shiny, you know, bleeding edge technologies. And, and that's where they maybe sometimes they forget to ask the questions, hey, this application has evolved over 10, 15, 30 years. There's a lot of, you know, business processes that have gone into. We can't just pick this next Google framework that comes out. <laughs> sure. You know, um, you know, the point is, if you're a software developer, you have to decide what's more interesting for you. Shiny yeah. new frameworks or the business case behind business the application. Case. Yeah. So I was working for Swiss Railways a very long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, railway companies, at least in Europe, maybe in, not so in the United States, but yeah. at least in Europe is something very interesting because it's, it's very large. Yeah. It's very technical. You have to deal with trains, with timetables, with stuff like that. Yeah. And this is a very interesting domain. So maybe the domain is more interesting for you than the tools that the tools, you're using. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Maybe if you're a young developer, maybe tools are more interesting because you yeah. want to learn a lot. And if you're getting older, maybe the domain becomes more interesting <laughs> to you. It's funny you said that because in my last uh, conversation with Leif, he did ask, like, you know, developers could be asking themselves, hey, do I want to be interchangeable and compete with thousands of React developers out there? Or do I want to be the developer who can build a UI, but also understands financial transaction that happens behind the domain, the business logic, uh, which was I found it fascinating. Um, so if we go back to the, you know, so the, 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 the technical CEO, you said, I'm sure he had to juggle his hats. He would have put on the CEO hat and have his, you know, business KPIs and the engineering hat where you would understand what's going on. Can we, when you were discussing the, you know, the whole, migration with Vardin, what were some business KPIs that uh, was important for him to focus on and, and justify the investment? Mm -hmm. uh, the, I think the, the, maybe 
let's start with that. The point why they use they want the web front end is because they want to be uh, visible on the market. So if they go to an exhibition with other ERP systems, most of the ERP systems today are uh, web-based. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to install the front end and stuff yeah. like that. Maybe, maybe it's even not better web-based, but at the end it's more shiny, it's better, it's modern, whatever, it, it sells better. That's, mm -hmm. that's one business, that's the, I would say that's the business case that this company as a product company has. Mm -hmm. He wants to sell or get new customers and then they need a new and up-to-date UA. So that's one yeah. point. On the other hand, what's very important is to keep all the developers. So they don't want to exchange the developing stuff because the developers yeah. has a lot of domain knowledge. They know mm -hmm. the they know their customers, they know the application, the data, um, the business um, processes. And I think that's also very important for the company. So these two KPIs are the most important. So to, okay. to be able to sell the product to new customers and to keep the knowledge mm -hmm. uh, with the existing customers. Mm -hmm. Now, when, since this was a desktop application, uh, often one of the concerns that I've uh, you know dealt with is uh, product owners are like we don't have the capacity or cannot afford to train our existing customer base on the new front end. Was that a concern or how did you guys go about design the design side of things? We try to the, the, the most important thing is that all the key shortcuts that they have in the existing application also works in the web application. So they have a lot of key shortcuts like S3, F4, F5, F6, and so yeah. on, or control and plus any number or, or letter. And this is very important because the UI should look from the structure the same as today. Mm -hmm. So not from the look and feel, but at structure. least where the fields are, where the grids are, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And the, the the shortcuts, the menu, and stuff like that should work and look like it's working today. So that's one thing that was very important. Mm -hmm. And this was very easy to achieve because we have components. We can add shortcut listeners to keys to whatever, and this works more or less. Mm -hmm. We have yeah. to to make sure that the event doesn't pop up to the browser because most of the keys are already taken by the browser. Yeah. So we had to, to uh, prevent from popping up, but uh, at the end, this, this works uh, very well. Mm -hmm. Another stuff that was very important is performance mm -hmm. because we have to deal with a lot of data with, and then it's very important that the application is, is running smoothly. And that's something that we're just working on. We have some performance issues with uh, data access, for example, mm -hmm. or how we generate the UI. But I was uh, speaking with uh, Matti last week about performance. Mm -hmm. And there are some issues like in the tree grid, for example, or the tree, this is not as fast as it could be, probably. Mm -hmm. He said that the Vadim team is working mm -hmm. on performance improvement as well. So this shouldn't be an issue. Mm -hmm. And then you said, you know, you're still helping the working with the client. And what's the like production strategy? How, how will, how... How is the team gonna? How 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 is the existing customer base going to transition from the legacy, the classic, to the modern system? We are trying. What we tried first, or what what was our goal, is to have a uh, parallel 
operating mode. So you mm -hmm. can have the database and you can use the old application, but as well, you can use the new one. Mm -hmm. So you, we can, you can have, as a customer, you can say, okay, I like the master data section where I can manage the products and the customer should be web-based. Ah, but okay. the order management system, I want to use the old application. Okay. And this should work because they have a lot of customers and they are also for sure have a lot of uh, versions in production. So not every customer is on the newest mm -hmm. version of version. the old application. So it will take many years to bring every customer yeah. to the new web-based solution. Yeah. And during that time, we need to make sure that it's like a it's possible to move forward and also uh, keep the old application but that's a very hard thing mm -hmm. and uh, parts of, of my team are working on on the data migration so they are generating from the oracle forms applications are generating data that will help to generate the new ui for example mm -hmm. okay so the the old system and the new web system they they do interact with each other and one can use one module from the web-based and then the other one from the-, the That's the idea that there coexistence between these two applications. Mm -hmm. So uh, we are, you know, here at Wadin, uh, my focus also has been talking to a lot of uh, legacy modernization projects, you know, focusing on Swing, JavaFX, uh, Oracle Forms, uh, Windows, you know, WPF, uh, all the legacy desktop-based applications. How would you go about, uh, you know, engaging with typically it's architects or the business owners what are some questions you would ask let's say you are on the Vaadin camp what are some questions you would ask them to kind of make them you know see things from a different perspective instead of just blindly going with angular or react because that's what everybody does yeah maybe the, the question that you could ask is how works your current developing stuff. So are they, for example, on Swing? Or are they already using JavaScript? So that maybe makes a difference because mm -hmm. maybe they are already kind of front-end devs out there that they can use. Maybe they don't have enough. Mm -hmm. Because as I already said, they should um, focus on keeping the existing stuff, the existing yeah. knowledge. That's very important. Yeah. So maybe a question that I can ask to the architects is, how can you preserve the current knowledge of the developers to make mm -hmm. it work in the modernization project? Mm -hmm. And this could be a good questions to to make them to make what invisible. So to to show them that there is a Java framework that you can use where you can build perfect looking web applications with all the functionalities that you may need without learning a complete new technology. Mm -hmm. Because the, the shift of technology is always a, a risk. Yeah. Uh, because if you start with a new technology and you're not an expert in that technology, you, you will make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. And that's one thing. The other thing that we didn't talk about is people are often talking about open source as free software. Mm -hmm. But open source is not free. Yeah. Because you have to, to take care of the total cost of ownership. You exactly. To, you pay something. You pay if yeah. you take something that is free, you <laughs> have to you may not have anybody you can ask. Yeah. Or asking people or fixing bugs yourself will yeah. be become very costly. Costly, yeah. 
So if you have like uh, Vadim provides like a dual licensing model where parts are free, you can add some additional services. Chook, for example, has the same model. Mm -hmm. So if you have a commercial database, you have to pay for it for the support. If you have a free database, you don't have to pay. Yeah. And that's also a very important thing. You sh if you choose a framework, you shouldn't look only at the framework. You should look at the community. You should look at the possibilities to get support, to get um, yeah. help from... Yeah whatever the community or from the product um, company, doesn't yeah. matter. And that's something very important as well. So you pay for whatever you use, even yeah. if it doesn't cost anything. In fact, uh, talking about TCO, can we break down the different components that uh, is the sum that leads to a total cost of when building a business application using an open source technology? You have the salary of the developer, right? Exactly. What else? You have to you have kind of a startup phase where you have mm -hmm. to train the people, even mm -hmm. if they do it uh, for free, like, or, or on an online tutorial, yeah. or if they have in-house uh, courses from, from, from a company that provides like education for, for the framework. So that's mm -hmm. something. And uh, the other thing that you shouldn't underestimate is the point where you stuck with the framework. So you, you start and it's everything's very easy at the beginning yeah, yeah. and you can do your hello world and suddenly <laughs> you, you have a problem. So yeah. you, you have a lot of choices. You can go to Google. Yeah. And if you're asking something about Java development, you usually find an answer or a question on Stack Overflow. Mm -hmm. So you go there. The first thing that you have to do is there is this question or the answer is still relevant. So is it yeah. for my version of the open source product or not? Mm -hmm. uh, this, this will take time. And then you have to adapt the solution in your problem. Maybe you have to create a fix because there is no possibility to get the fix done. Or if it's an open source project, you could do the fix yourself. You can open a, a pull request. Pull request, yeah. But this will take time and this will take effort. As you said, there's a salary from the developer. So every minute that developer spends uh, is not for free. Yep. So this is maybe underestimated. So for example, if I use Vadin, we have a Prime subscription. I can go to chat and I can ask a question. Yeah. I don't have to provide a running example. I can just ask a question and maybe this helps. This? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe they can help me. And if I'm in open source community, maybe there is a really strong community and this is also possible mm -hmm. or not. The problem is that what people don't know about open source, someone has to pay for the open source. Yeah. So for, for example, if uh, we have Vadin that is open source, Vadin pays for the developers that are building the open source. If you go to the Spring framework, you yeah. have currently it's VMware, yeah. VMware pays for all the Spring developers. Yeah. And, but if you choose a, a niche framework, maybe Apache Wicket, for example, as a web-based uh, framework, there are only a few developers or a, a few active developers. And if they yeah. decided, no, they don't like anymore <laughs> to work on the open source project, it yeah. will fail and it will disappear. And what do you have to do? You have to code, but the code will not help. Exactly. You, because you have to maintain it yourself. So that's mm -hmm. also something that you have to consider if you look at an open source framework. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the that's the cost of the team because that's that's the challenge that I well the discussion that I have. People say, yeah, we will you know you will use Angular. Okay, so you either will have to then train your Java developers on front end stuff or hire new headcounts who know client side stuff. That is already you know we're talking more than six figures depending on how many developers they hire. There's the startup training cost, and I think the cost of delay that you mentioned, you know, developers get stuck, and that's the that is the part of the cost that's often, you know, architects maybe sometimes miss of uh, the loss of productivity for the developer. And developers also, I think, want to be in a state of flow where they can just keep, you know, coding and cranking out uh, views after <laughs> views when working on the front end, I guess. So focus on the existing knowledge and how do you want to preserve existing domain knowledge? Any, any other, other questions you would, you know, you would ask? Maybe... To, to on the business side too, on the business side or the technical side. Yeah. You should also keep in mind that you have kind of a long-term support. Mm-hmm. So because we are talking about modernization, we are talking about uh, digital transformation. Yeah. And the, as I said, the application that I'm currently working uh, on is around 30 years old. 30 years, yeah. So the new one that we are creating or the new UI will live for at least 10 years. 15, yeah. Maybe. I mean, yeah. Maybe, maybe 20, maybe 30 yeah. years, we don't know. Suppose, and uh, then we, we need frameworks that uh-huh. are supported during that time. If yeah. you look at Angular, for example, at the history, they created AngularJS version one, yeah. and then suddenly they decide, oh no, it's not a good approach. We create a completely different new framework and we call it Angular as well. Yeah. So you, you have to find someone who, who keeps up the pace. Yeah. Also, the same problem is with, uh, if you look at JavaScript development, you have a lot of build tools. Yeah. They are changing currently. So people are saying, oh, we have NPM, others say we have Yarn, whatever. So stuff's are changing. Mm-hmm. And these, these things also should be considered because you have to learn new things every year or every half a year. And yeah. this will cost money because... Yeah. Uh, and if you, you have a, like a framework that provides a kind of a long-term support where you know, mm-hmm. okay, for the next 10 years or 15 years, this will be supported, you are fine. You don't have to worry about it. And yeah. uh, you, you also may get a, a kind of a migration pass. So, for example, if Vadin 20 comes and Vadin 20 has a completely different component mm-hmm. yeah. um, uh, model again, so there will be someone who can help you. Yeah. And so maybe like uh, you have to make a plan what it will cost over the next 5, 10, 15, maybe 20 years. Because usually the software that I'm taking care of is business critical applications mm-hmm. and they are not built to, to be uh, here for a year or two. They are built yeah. to be here more or less forever. So that's, good, the, yeah. that's a very uh, important point as yeah. well. And that's a wrap up for this episode. If you're interested to be a guest in the show or you have topics you would like to learn more about related to enterprise application development, find us at vadin.com slash podcast. Mm-hmm.